before the bench of God. And uh, because of that, and because of the life of obedience that Christ learns, uh, lived rather, we are going to be uh, justified by a legal declaration. Uh, it's based on the things that he's done. We see uh, that we receive this justification by faith and faith alone. And there's nothing that we can do uh, to earn that. And scripture is very clear in so many places. And as we go through a lot of the scriptures today, we're going to be talking about that. One of the ones that gives us a little more trouble is the, is a term called foreknowledge. It's used in the scriptures a number of times, the meaning of which depends on the context in which it's used. Uh, there's a sense in which uh, God knows what's going to happen. Uh, he created time. He's in time and he's outside of time all the time, and he's never subject to it. Um, he kind of knows what will happen. It's almost, I've heard somebody explain it like this, that if, if, you're, if he's kind of looking down on life as if it's sort of a parade, and he can see the end of the parade from the beginning of the parade, so he kind of knows what's going to happen. Uh, that's one usage of it. But when we speak of foreknowledge in terms of justification or salvation or something like that, it, there's a, a, a very different usage of the word. Um, of course, we were in the mind and heart of God. Uh, and I say here, as he saved us and called us, Second Timothy says, we were in the minds and hearts of God. And this, this calling of us happened before time began. Before time began. Uh, he knows us, not only in the sense of our identity and things like that, but he also knows us in the sense that he has, uh, in, in theological terms, we talk about it as being he sort of foreloved us. Um, the, the foreknowledge here sort of suggests a more intimate sort of knowledge with us uh, than, than more spoken of like in the Old Testament uh, when they speak of knowing, um, it has a more intimate context to it depending on the situation. Uh, this is not, if God only foreknew what was going to happen and make his choices based on what he knew was going to happen, it would make him clairvoyant, but it wouldn't make him sovereign, right? So we're going to kind of deal with some of those in, uh, from the scripture here. And uh, another word that we want to, uh, to, to look at is uh, the word predestined. It comes from a Greek word, uh, proorizo, which means uh, in the Greek to limit in advance, to predetermine, determine before, ordain, or predestinate. Uh, Bill last week talked about the effectual call. And the effectual call, you know, there, I think he pointed out that there are many types of calling. There's a call to worship. There's a call to prayer. There's a call to repentance. All of these, all of these types of calls are sort of external to us. But when the scripture talks about this or when we think of it in terms of uh, a, a theological uh, rendering of this, Effectual call is actually a call from within. It's very different, has different qualities. Um, 
the, uh, and we can see this in, in uh, Romans 8, uh, when we see that uh, whom God predestined, he also called. And so by the close association of those two phrases, we know that he means more than just a, a general call to repentance. Um, the effectual call refers to, any kind, this is how I kind of remember it. Anytime it uses the word effectual, think of it in terms of the effectiveness of the call, right? Is God able to make a call that's effectual, that doesn't have its intended purpose, the one that he intended to do? And if it does, then God is not the sovereign God that we, that we say he is. Um, the other thing I want to do today is uh, I hope, let me back up one. As Presbyterians, we can make an academic exercise out of anything, right? We're good at doing stuff like that. But I hope that today what we see is this, um, I hope it brings forth within us a, uh, a gratitude and a thankfulness for what God has done for us, quite apart from ourselves, quite apart from our ability to even help ourselves, um, and, and I, I, I think it will because it's, it's just so magnificent what he ends up doing here. We're going to turn to the next page, and we're going to go to section one of chapter 11. I'm going to read what it says, and then we're going to kind of go over some of the pieces of it. Uh, Those whom God effectually calleth, he also freely justifieth, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins, and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done by them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing the obedience and satisfaction of Christ unto them, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which faith they have not of themselves, it is the gift of God. Now, the Westminster Divines, when they wrote this, did kind of an interesting thing. Uh, they're going to tell us what, what he meant, but also what he didn't mean. Because there's been times, and there are certain situations that we look at, and somebody says, well, what's that? Well, we'll, def we'll start defining it by like, well, it's not this. And so sometimes that's a very effective way to do this. And so he sort of says, this is what, it, this is what it, the, his order is. This is what uh, the Westminster, this is what it not, it's not, but this is what it is. I'm going to reverse those and put the positive first because sometimes it's a little more helpful to us. And so you see it, it sort of looks like he pardons their sin, but he doesn't do it by infusing righteousness, which we're going to talk about here in a minute. It's for Christ's sake, not for anything they've done, by imputing righteousness and the satisfaction of Christ, not by imputing faith. And then he says, faith is from God, not from themselves. And so what I want to look at is the first piece here, um, and that is this idea of it is, justification is a, is a legal definition. It's something that happens uh, sort of in legal situations, right? And what he says is it's not by infusing righteousness. So let's talk about this for a minute because there are some uh, Christian uh, denominations that look at this and say 
that Christ or that God actually infused righteousness in them, which what which what that would mean is that He actually made them righteous. He actually made them righteous, and one of the problems with something like this is that if He actually made them righteous, it would His His effectual call would it would not be efficacious for very long. Because then we would begin to start sinning, and then what it becomes is, it becomes my job to maintain my righteousness, to maintain this standing before God that I can't. Now, we're going to talk about faith here in a minute, too, as it applies to this. So, then what does it mean, right? If, if, if uh, well, there's another thing. If he also infused righteousness in us, which means, again, to declare us righteous, why would he have any other other reason to tell us to confess our sins? There would be no, because we would just be righteous, and we know that that is not the case. We are not, um, and so um, we have to look back at who we are. There's not some little glimmer of light or hope or some divine spark that's in there anywhere. Uh, the scriptures tell us in, um, in Ephesians that we were dead in our trespasses and sins, right? And dead is not a little alive, right? Dead is dead. And so if Romans tells us there's none righteous, no, not one, there's none who does good, there's none who seeks after God, and we're dead in our trespasses and sin, is a is a reason the gospel is good news because this is where it kind of starts. Um, on the other hand, I I have here that if God is going to make a declaration, and I say a forensic declaration or a legal declaration, God is the one who accomplishes it, and were it not for His work on our behalf, it would never happen, and so. Uh, Titus uh, tells us it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. He saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, having been justified by his grace, etc. In different places in the scripture, it says he accomplished our redemption. In Jeremiah, it calls the Lord our righteousness. Um, and later on, we talk, it says, uh, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. So if it's not a declaration, then we're somehow just of, our, of ourselves, and that, that is not the case. Um, we learn later that our righteousness is purely uh, the result of the grace that he has uh, uh, given us, that this, and we're going to talk about this, this faith also, which is, Faith is, is, well, let me just go ahead and read it. And the, the second, uh, second sub part of uh, chapter 11 says, Faith thus receiving and resting on Christ and his righteousness is alone the instrument of justification. Yet it is not alone in the person justified, but it is ever accompanied by other saving graces and is no dead faith, but worketh by love. So here's one of the things that I always remember having. I used to have a little problem with this. We would say, that salvation is by Christ alone, through grace alone, through faith alone. And I just said three things, and none of them are alone, right, according to the way it kind of sounds. And it goes, so how do, how do we look at that? And in this case, faith, 
which is what we're going to deal with. I mentioned earlier, it is the instrument, it's how God gets it to us. And it's a little bit like if we are sort of approaching the fountain of God with an empty cup. And he is the one putting the grace in that cup. Uh, it's not that our faith caused that, uh, but we also know in James that, that, you know, faith without works is dead. He says, you know, I'll show you my faith by my works, right? The works that we do, the fruits of the Spirit that are involved in our lives are evidence that this Holy Spirit is working within us, right? If those things aren't present, we need to take a step back and do a little inventory in our lives going, okay, I may be out of work, you know, maybe that's not true, right? Um, and that, obviously it doesn't mean we have to do things like that perfectly or all the time, but the, the basic characterizations of our lives need to be that those things are present. We need to, you know, the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, et cetera, et cetera, right? All that stuff should be in there somewhere. And it should be a general characterization of who we are, but not that we do them perfectly, right? Um, all right. So, um, let's see. <clears throat> okay, so we see in Ephesians also, it says that in the ages to come, he might show his exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Let's anyone should boast we go i mean that's like the the you know the the sinner and the tax collector you know thank thank you lord that i'm not like him i'm not a bad guy like him he does he is god does not share his glory with anybody else and he much less one of us he's just not going to do it um also philippians kind of repeats or reinforces something that we talked about in the first point and uh, that we be found in him, not having uh, uh, my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness, which is from God by faith. So again, we're seeing that faith is the instrument, the thing that it's not causal. It doesn't cause it, but it's the way we sort of receive it. Um, let's go to uh, three here. On the next page, uh, Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those uh, that are justified and did make proper, real, and full satisfaction of his Father's justice in their behalf. And inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in their stead, both freely, not of anything in them, their justification is only of free grace that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. So we see very clearly that those who are justified, I mean, we are, we are debtors in a very real sense because we owe God a debt of obedience. Because if he's done these things, I mean, there's no other ex ex expression of this that we could give uh, when we see things like that. He said, and uh, also, um, 
Let's see how do I want to do this. Um, okay, there's a great passage in uh, Romans 5, and it's, it's a number of verses long, but it ends with this. It said, but God demonstrates his own love toward us, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, right? The verses before it are, are, are saying things like, uh, for a good man, someone may dare even to die. You know, if he's a good guy, he might do this. But God, while we were his enemies, Christ died for us in this. And so this is one of the points that, that make faith even more important in a lot of ways because here's the way it kind of goes. We were without strength. We were lost. Christ died for us. We were justified by his blood. We were saved from wrath. We were reconciled to God and have peace with God. Now, so here's kind of one of my favorite things. We're coming up on the Christmas season, and we see things like, you know, peace, peace on earth, goodwill to men, right? Well, this peace on, this peace on earth thing, this, we're not talking about, you know, world peace kind of peace. We're talking about peace with a holy God. That's what the peace is. That's why it's good is because, and I always, I, uh, every year um, we go through one of my classes with my juniors, uh, uh, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God by uh, Jonathan Edwards. Anybody ever read that or seen it? This, this thing, this is so powerful um, anybody know that? How, how many are familiar with the story of how he did this? I, I know this is like a complete rabbit trail, but that's my spiritual gift or rabbit trail. <laughs> <laughs> and so back in the great awakening, this sermon is going to sort of kick off the great awakening. In, in 1741 in Enfield, Connecticut, Jonathan Edwards is in his church and he's got this sermon. He's going to deliver this sermon. And by all accounts, he, he renders this sermon in a very flat, almost monotone, just sort of reading it. And as you read it, we're seeing a, a picture of God that people don't talk about anymore. We're talking about a jealous God. We're talking about a God who is angry at sin. And he's just given these examples of how how terrible the judgment of God is and why, why the gospel is so important. And it just gets bigger and bigger and bigger and more examples and more examples. And that's why people left that place begging God to save them. And from then and there outward went this tremendous revival in, uh, the, in the colonies, uh, and so he didn't go there with the intent of doing that, but what he was very, he was very, <clears throat> I guess, disappointed is probably doesn't quite do it justice, but of the lack of personal piety within the Christian church, right? You know, God doesn't have any grandchildren, right? He only has children. And so people had just sort of uh, become very complacent. Uh, God was just something they added to their lives, and, and so he, bring, he just does this sermon, and the, the place is shaken to the very core. Um, so, all right, well, that was my rabbit trail for today. Uh, so, in any case, this peace with God that we have means that we evade, so to speak, the wrath that God justly owes us. 
There's nobody in this room that doesn't deny, doesn't deserve anything better than a than a horrible death because of our because of our sin against this God. Um, Hebrews tells us uh, by this one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. I'm gonna I'm gonna draw your attention to the back. Let's go to the very back page. I have put on there. Uh, Bill mentioned uh, the Ordo Salutis last week. Um, and this, uh, this says, uh, whom he foreknew, he predestined, whom he predestined, he called, whom he called, he justified, whom he justified, he also glorified, right? This is sort of the thing. And we go back to the foreknowledge of this. And one of the most spectacular things about this whole thing is that God chose us in eternity past, eternity past. And I've, we've made, I think I've made reference to this uh, many times over, uh, I think in the last couple of times I was here, but, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of look at eternity, uh, eternity present. I say easy. But we kind of have an idea of what that might look like. What's it look like, eternity past? What was God doing before creation? Well, and, and it goes way back. Right? And it goes way to the front. But he saved us. I, we don't even know. The cool thing is at some point when we get to be with him for eternity, we won't have sin clouding our judgment. We won't have that. And we'll be able to just go. You know, that's how that did it. That's how you did it. That's what you were doing. And it'll begin to make more sense. But we'll have eternity to contemplate it anyway. So it'll be, it'll be pretty sweet. Um. Okay, let's go back to three. All right, so uh, the scriptures tell us, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for us. And we're back to this idea, you know, this, this ransom thing where God is buying us. He's, he's, he's pulling us. He's saving us. Um, <clears throat> what's our time? How much time do we have? My timekeeper. Oh, I still have about hour and a half <laughs> it's all good that's right so um here's here's something i want to bring up too because you you can almost not get involved in a conversation like this without sort of recalling isaiah 53 uh, you know this great phenomenal passage where it says of christ uh, a prophetic uh a prophetic reference to what he did for us surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord uh, has laid the iniquity of us all, on him the iniquity of us all. If you want to know why that's good news, this is the good news. Right? This is what he did for us. This is why our justification is important because Christ was the satisfaction of the wrath of God. And we just see this and there's no way we can do it. And had, had, we, had there been, had we even had attempted, and there are many people attempt this, to do it on our own, we would fail. And it has to be beyond us where this comes. And it has to be a legal declaration because otherwise it doesn't fit, it doesn't work. Um, 
subchapter 4. What God did from all eternity, uh, decree to just, wait a minute. God did from all eternity, decree to justify the elect. And Christ did in the fullness of time, die for their sins and rise again for their justification. You got that, right? He, he, he uh, rose again for our justification. It showed God's power over death in his resurrection. Uh, nevertheless, they are not justified until the Holy Spirit doth in due time actually apply Christ unto them. And so we see in Galatians uh, where Paul tells us in the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the uh, Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham before say, beforehand saying, and all you, all the nations shall be blessed. And later he says, but when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Christ Jesus our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should also become heirs in the hope of eternal life. Um, we're going we're gonna to move on because I'm kind of up against the clock a little bit. Um, section 5. God doth continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, they may, be by, they may by their sins fall into God's fatherly displeasure and not have the light of his countenance restored unto them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. Um, and, and Jesus tells them that... Uh, if we have eternal life, we shall never perish, and no one can take them out of my hand. Um, we also see in the next point that, and this is sort of one of the main points where Martin Luther is going to use this particular piece. It's God is going to use it in his life to kind of distill justification and make it a little more perspicuous a word. I always thought that was a funny word, perspicuity. It actually means clarity. And so why didn't you just say clarity? You know, you had to, you know. Um, and he's going to say the justification of believers under the New Testament was in all respects the same with the justification of believers in the New Testament. So you wonder, how were people saved in the Old Testament? Oh, by doing all those sacrifices and doing all that stuff and going to the temple and doing all this stuff all the time? No. Right? No. He saved them the same way he saves us. And this is where, where the scripture says, and Abraham believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, he used other pieces. He used the sacrifices for other reasons. And they're, they're great pictures of what Christ did. And so much of it is... a. Uh, is a sort of a foreshadowing of the things that will come to help us understand sort of anthropomorphically why these things happen. Um, but they were saved the same way. And so we look at this scripture and what a blessing it is that we have this. Um, and uh, let's see what I want to Okay, so, um, and being fully convinced, this is from Romans 4, that what he promised he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was accounted to him as righteousness. 
Now, it was not written for his sake alone that uh, it was imputed to him, but for us also, also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up the Lord Jesus uh, from the dead. And again, it, he repeats the scripture, and Abraham believed, and it was accounted for righteousness. We have such a great Savior. We have such, this is so phenomenal what he has done for us that while we, when we couldn't help ourselves, this, we were in the mind and heart of God from eternity past. From the, I don't know where that started, you know, where he started thinking, but this is just the way God works for us. And it's such a magnificent thing that we have that we, we don't have to try to be good on our own from our own power because we can't do it. You know, because as we said earlier, nobody's righteous. And he kind of adds the no, not one, right? And um, this, this doctrine of justification, I mean, it's like, I mean, how do you do it justice in like, you know, 35, 40 minutes? It just, you, you can't, but this is a wonderful thing that he has done for us. And it makes me, and you know what I was thinking, you know, at the beginning, the beginning of our service, there's a prelude. And the purpose of the prelude is not so everybody gets in here, right? The purpose of the prelude, as Tyler has always said, it's a time of preparation for our hearts, not to get the last few conversations in before, uh, before the, you know, the game starts. Um, and it's like the Isaiah 53 piece is such a phenomenal thing to, to sort of examine before we get into this thing called this worship service. By the way, the offertory ain't halftime, all right? It's part, it's part of the worship service. Now, did I say that like you wanted me to, Tyler? <laughs> no. Now, honest to goodness, he never told me that. That's a pet peeve of mine, but it's not halftime. It's part of the worship service. It's part of where everything, you know, is, you know, in preparation for the, for the preaching of the word that's getting ready to happen. It's all kind of part of those things, right? Um, so I hope that it, <coughs> it, sorry, I should, not supposed to do that with a mic, sorry, Tom. <laughs> uh, I hope that what we do is begin to ex express gratitude for what's been done, because when we, this is a real time of Thanksgiving. This is where Thanksgiving ought to happen, right? It's what, what was done for us that we couldn't do for ourselves, that was done from eternity past, I don't even know about that. I mean, it's so fantastic and amazing that we can do. Uh, all right, so I hate to open it up to questions because I'm, you know, these are. Does anybody have any questions or comments or thoughts or anything that you want? Yeah. Oh, 